It is the slammed fucking shut door policy. Yeah, get fucked policy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. And I'm Karen Delaney. What's going on, friend? I'm good. It is a Monday around lunchtime, and I'm I'm doing pretty well today. It's not things wheels have not fallen off yet. So like knock on all the wood, but it's been a pretty good weekend. The week's gonna be busy, but I'm okay. How about you? Good. This is the best Monday I've had in a while because mm-hmm. I've had a couple of really crazy weeks and I had some big deliverables due at the end of last week. Those are done. And so, I mean, I still have work to do, obviously, yeah. but I'm kind of footloose and fancy free and <laughs> got some stuff done around the house today that needed doing and am also digging into some work that I didn't get to last week while I was doing other stuff. So I'm feeling absolutely A plus fantastic. And then we had quite an eventful weekend, too, because my oldest had his we've been in the baseball playoffs for basically Mm -hmm. forever at this point because it's been raining so much that we haven't been able to play. And so we had a playoff game on Saturday. And if we won that one, we were going to have another playoff game uh, a couple hours later. We did not win. And the kids were very upset. Not because they lost, but because mm-hmm. the season was over and there was a lot of anger and upset at the fact that there are no baseball games until February. Like literal oh, outrage. Literal so outrage. Cute. They're so devoted to it, though. That's so cute. <laughs> no, it's amazing. And mm-hmm. we're doing tryouts. The team is having tryouts this weekend for a couple of the open spots. And then we're going to start practices up again in another couple of weeks. And there's like outrage about the fact that we have a couple of weeks without practices. <laughs> and it's just so funny. I mean, you know, I, I feel for the kids and it's really genuine and they really feel it. Mm-hmm. And they're just so into baseball. But I didn't expect the reaction at losing to be upset at the season being over versus upset at, well, we lost the playoff game and we're not going to make it into, you know, the next round or whatever. So that ate up all of Saturday in various ways, but it was otherwise just a good weekend. Good. Yeah. We um, were in that blessed period in between sports. So we have two weeks now um, in between flag football ended, the kids pick up, um, basketball soon for their winter sport. And then there is a new indoor flag football league that I was like, Oh, they play on Friday nights. Like, that'll be fun. We'll do that. Cause they love it so much. And that'll keep them, you know, active mm-hmm. somewhat until spring league. And so I signed them up for it without thinking through, like they play on Friday nights and then basketball is on Saturday mornings. And yeah. so I was like, Oh, motherfuck!" Like that's a lot of parenting yeah. and practices per week that I really didn't think through when I was like, what fun for the children. (laughs) God damn it. Yeah, we also are starting basketball in a couple of weeks. And it'll be a little bit different this year because the previous seasons we've done, we have games on Saturday, but practice is the 30 minutes preceding the Mm -hmm. game, which is amazing to not have to do it on a weeknight and have people late for bed and trying to shower at 8 30 or 9 o'clock at night or whatever but this season we are going to have separate basketball practices Mm -hmm. during the week games on saturdays and then we also are going to be doing i don't know if it's just one baseball practice per week or maybe two 
but we will have baseball practicing practices continuing through the off season mm-hmm. as much as we can. I mean, dependent on the weather and whoever wants to go to the indoor batting cages or whatever. But I was thinking to myself, you know, one reason this baseball season has been so wonderful is because we did drop soccer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, hopefully it's <laughs> going to be okay with basketball. We'll see. We'll see if he wants to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, we're um I am regretting my choices because my I full disclosure, my husband had been abroad for over a week and so I was like, well, I'm not traveling anywhere. Let's go through all the children's doctor's appointments that are due and uh-huh. get all of those done. Um which meant that I've been running around like crazy in the middle of the day doing work and also driving my children to and from doctor's appointments. Sure. Which would they needed done but was also short-sighted on my part because it was a lot of work to get that done and get those scheduled and get running around doing that. So we've done that as well. So there's always something. Um, one of my dogs is now um, has hypothyroidism. So he has to go for vet checks and take daily medication um, and made us feel a little bad because we kept calling him overweight and lazy. And it turns out he just had no <laughs> thyroid function. <laughs> How dare you? So, <laughs> you're like, Sorry, buddy. <laughs> How dare you shame him? Yeah. And it was it was our Milton too. So I was going to ask we- if it was Milton. <laughs> How dare you? I know. And I appreciate Milton. And the vet called and was like, "Well, is he? Does he shed a lot? And is he lazy?" And I was like, "I mean, define that because he's done that his whole life too." Yeah. <laughs> um. So he's on thyroid medication now. So that's a new fun development. Um. He gets he gets it wrapped in a piece of Velveeta singles. Each morning and afternoon. (laughs) Okay, I have to ask, why the Velveeta? Because my understanding is that Milton will eat literally anything. He will, um, mostly because one of my sons decided he wanted Velveeta singles on hand to make things and then promptly forgot it existed and it's about to expire. Oh, so you're just going to give it to the dog? (laughs) Yeah, why buy pill pockets when you can just give the dog garbage? (laughs) Yes. So then I split it up. Each dog gets a third of a strip of Velveeta twice a day now. So they know like the sound of me pulling the Velveeta out of the fridge and they all come running. (laughs) Yeah. Pavlov never foresaw this when he was doing his little experiments. (laughs) So things are going really well here. Um, But we have, I have an agenda. You had an agenda last week. I have an agenda this week. Um, We have very important things to discuss. We have this the same. Get, I mean, get real. We have yes. the same agenda. <laughs> you know, and I it. know this because we have texted nonstop since Saturday night. Um, Literally nonstop. <laughs> um, for those of you who are not aware, Taylor Swift kicked off her international leg of her tour um, in Mexico City last month, but then picked it back up in Buenos Aires this weekend, and. Big developments on the Taylor Swift front because go ahead, you're most, excited. <laughs> most chaotic night mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do work this week. I need four yes. to five business days to process this news. <laughs> I can give a brief recap of everything I remember happening at that concert. Yes, please, okay. and I'll jump in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um. Maybe boyfriend slash PR relationship Travis Kelsey was there in person. Mm-hmm. I th- believe having flown 19 hours from Germany. 
Uh, no, he was in Kansas City. So he came oh, back okay. from Germany to Kansas City. Um, and then flew he had something Argentina. for Patrick Mahomes the night before. So he had to go to a Patrick Mahomes event and then fly straight from that to Argentina so he could make the concert in time. Okay, no rest for the wicked. Yes. yes. So the Argentina fans during the song The Archer, um, you know, there's this part where she sings about, but who would stay? Like, who would mm-hmm. stay with me? And they printed out signs saying, we will stay. And so a bunch of people mm-hmm. held those up during The Archer. Gave one to Travis, who held it up during the Archer. He was yes. in the VIP tent with Papa Swift, who was wearing a Chiefs lanyard despite despite being a Phillies Eagle fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor did End Game as yes. one of the surprise songs, as in "I want to be your End Game." I want to be your mm-hmm. first string. Not tra- not Travis related, but did an "Is It Over Now" mashup with "Out of the Woods" as the uh. surprise song. I was so jealous, so jealous. <laughs> I swear to God, if we don't get an album of the live recordings of the surprise mm-hmm. songs from the era, the Eras tour, then this woman is not half the businesswoman we think she is. I mean, there is just a massive gold mine <laughs> sitting yes. under those recordings. Mm-hmm. So she did that, which was incredible. She changed the lyrics of Karma from Karma is the guy on the TV coming straight home to me to... Karma is the guy on the Chiefs coming yes. straight home to me and the, her dancers' faces. Oh my God. And I've then, watched about 30 TikToks analyzing her dancers' faces as she made that announcement, too, like from every possible angle. And um, her most famous dancer, Cam, during his dance solo, during. Well, that's right. Yes, during, was it Bejeweled, um, when he does his dance no. solo. Oh, wait, no. You're right. Never mind. You're right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. During his dance solo in Bejeweled, he did the archer pose, which is also what Travis has done when he scores touchdowns. So it was an ode to Travis Kelsey. Um, yeah. So he that incorporated the archer into his voguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I did a CSI level forensic analysis <laughs> of all of the dancers' faces because I needed to see every single individual's mm-hmm. reaction to hearing Karma is the guy on the Chiefs coming straight home to me. And then. Taylor very publicly made sure that we all saw her run to Travis Kelsey after the show and kiss him, Mm -hmm. which I thought was fascinating because Mm -hmm. it was basically the video was shot by somebody who was sitting in the obstructed seats where you can have a view of the backstage and you can also have a view of the stage. And she generally has been extremely private about her relationships. And so it's fascinating now to see this dynamic of all attention very deliberately focused on this. Mm-hmm. So we also got a public mouth on mouth yes. kiss mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, after the show. And my TikTok for you page was in shambles. Oh, yes. I mean, it was shambles. 99.9% either reactions to that video different angles to that video, reactions to that, reactions of reactions to the video. (laughs) Like it was (laughs) pretty much a hundred percent that, um, for the, since Saturday night when it occurred. Yeah. And I think I started texting you at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday and I don't (laughs) think I stopped. I I haven't stopped. I mean, I was sending you, I sent you a TikTok like five (laughs) minutes minutes before we started recording. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. yeah, thoughts, comments. 
Um, everyone in my house is sick of me talking about this. Um, so they are at Sunday morning. I was telling my husband, I was like, and the words are, and she changed them to, and he was just like blank stare at me, um, very politely, um, just dealing with me and like in one ear and out the other with all of that. My sister now, um, is a converted Swifty. So she got the brunt of a lot of all these texts as well. (laughs) Um, I am loving and i think i saw something online today um that basically was like why are women caring so much about this relationship why do they like travis kelsey you know what is it about it and i think it's in part because you can see the way he looks at her like he just appreciates her and her power and her talent and her ability and it's very nice to just see a man actually appreciating a woman do something well and be a badass and not trying to use it for some purpose. So whether it's real, whether it's fake, I don't care at this point. I think it's real. Um, And it's very nice to just watch her have someone who appreciates her as she is and isn't intimidated or like emasculated by her, by her success or ability. Yeah. He seems to understand his position in the relationship, Mm -hmm. which is she is a megastar who has a much bigger platform than he ever will. Despite, and and Mm -hmm. yes, I understand at this point, who Travis Kale is, okay? And, <laughs> and, you know, I know he's an NFL star, but you can't compare the level of exposure that he's had to the level of exposure that she has and that she continues to have. And he seems to understand that and be okay with it. Yes. And I think we're also focused on it because we're just thrilled that the era of the depressed British twink appears yeah, to be tortured past us. artist. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah like Joe Who. We don't care. Yes. Good luck with the yoga mm-hmm. shop. <laughs> yes, like go climb up a statue, get yours, and let it like enjoy this, please. So yeah, good for her. Yeah. Good for her. So we're thrilled. I hope that there's going to be more chaos to come because that was just a really crazy unhinged night. It was crazy and unhinged, and it inspired me. We've talked about this, so it is officially a go. My sister <gasps> is going to London, and it overlaps with Taylor's dates, and so we are getting tickets, and we're going to make a sister's trip and go see her oh! at Wembley when she's in London. Yes, I am so happy for you. Well, because we were texting about this yesterday, mm-hmm. and you were like... <laughs> you were giving me some great advice on how to pitch this. <laughs> you are like, I'm going to talk to my husband about this. And I was like, well, number one... This is really a smart deal because if you think about it, this experience is priceless. So you're saving money by spending on the tickets. If you take into consideration <laughs> the difference between priceless and whatever you spend. <laughs> and second, you already had a trip that was that was planned but canceled. Mm-hmm. So that money has already been accrued in the budget exactly. if we think about exactly. it. So mm-hmm. this is sort of like a net zero outflow from your, your mm-hmm. cash flow. So don't mm-hmm. worry about it. I, oh my God, I am so excited for you. I am so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yes. Yay. I can't wait. Yeah. So that's next on, next on the plan is getting the tickets, planning the trip um, and getting that done. Like my sister was like, when are the dates? I was like, I don't care. Like I'll make it happen. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever like, it is. Tell me move. when to be there. Yeah. yeah tell exactly. me when to be there. That'll be incredible. And in London too, hopefully that'll mm-hmm. be a little bit chaotic as well. I so can't, I can't wait. Yeah. We're going to just, we're going to make it a sister's trip. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go to Paris one day. So we're going to blow it out and have fun. Ugh. And I can't wait now. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yay. I didn't know that. I'm so, I'm so excited. I know that happened a few, just a little bit ago. So I saved it to share with you live on this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, amazing. So Mm -hmm. I don't have a hot toppy today for that very reason. Like I said, I need four to five business days to process what happened on Saturday (laughs) night. And I don't have anything else to discuss beyond that. No, I think that was a purely sufficient hot toppy because it has consumed my life. Like even while I was watching the Cowboys game with my husband last night, I was scrolling TikTok on mute, like just making sure there was nothing that I missed. So <laughs> no new developments, no new exactly. camera angle from exactly. something we want to see, no new analysis. I was like, maybe she announced reputation sometime and no, no, hasn't announced reputation yet. Well, because she played another show last night and so I was, I was, because the the Friday, I think it was the Friday night show got canceled Mm -hmm. and moved to Sunday. And so she did have a show last night and I have noticed, I am sort of upset about this, that, uh, I can't, I couldn't find live streams of any of the Argentina shows. And I had a similar problem with Mexico city. Like I found a lot of TikToks of people getting ready for the concert, a lot of clips that had been recorded at the concert, but no live streaming. And I wondered if, her people had complained to TikTok and maybe TikTok is geofencing live streams mm-hmm. and making sure that they don't get a wider viewership to avoid bootlegging and pirating issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was deeply annoyed by that because I was trying to keep kind of keep sort of abreast yes. of the situation as it unfolded. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. really interfered really with him. my ability to do that <laughs> it like hampered copyright. my ability to creep on all of this <laughs> i know who cares who cares about copyright forget about yes. it nobody needs to protect yeah. their intellectual property i'm a fan that doesn't apply to me I'm yeah because i love her <laughs> so yeah i was doing the same thing where we had some people over who were watching the game um and you know our kids were playing and i was surreptitiously at times trying yes. to sort of you know check in and see that there hadn't been any tabs. developments keep tabs yeah. make sure there's yeah. no new album being announced that's all i know we got to keep our fingers mm-hmm. on the pulse mm-hmm. well good well i have our main story this week and you don't know anything about this no um, i have no idea so... i haven't even looked at we have a shared uh note Mm-hmm. in the notes app where we are supposed to be putting our topics and we haven't been doing that lately, which has been a little uh, chaotic. False. And I haven't even I I updated all of mine last week after you told me to. So mine right. are all updated there. Right. But we isn't is inclusive of me. <laughs> and I have not been doing that. So that is a factually accurate statement. Uh and I haven't looked at it recently, so I have no idea what you've been up to. So our scene for our main story this week is New Jersey and specifically oh, I love New Jersey stories that come out of New Jersey. Yes. Oh, you're going to love this one. It's New Jersey <laughs> in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Oh. So we are prime New Jersey shore time. This is Atlantic City's extremely popular. So let me introduce you to who we'll call Barry Businessman. He owns okay. several companies in New Jersey and they all focus on one thing selling timeshare interests in New Jersey and specifically oh. Atlantic City. Yes. Your so, face. So seedy. <laughs> yes. Your Seedious. face was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Barry is extremely wealthy. He's made a ton of money from all of these companies. But despite he has. all yeah, exactly. Despite always telling people he only has a ninth grade education. Like he's street smart. He's from Jersey. He clawed his way up and he's made these companies. 
The details in the records aren't exactly clear, but a ver- Barry eventually meets Larry Lawyer, our okay. main character this week. Larry graduated from law school in 1969 and passed the bar in New York finally in 1974. During okay. the five years that he spent getting licensed, Larry worked as a tax advisor and a planner in the tax department of a large accounting firm. So that becomes his specialty is tax advice and planning and then legal tax advice and planning. Mm-hmm. Once he's licensed, he opens a law firm with a friend that's dedicated to entertainment law. And as Larry very much likes to brag, Larry and his friend represented a number of celebrities while he was a, a solo lawyer at his firm, including Bette Midler, Rod Stewart, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Neil Sedaka. So the height of celebrity. <laughs> this is very like 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s. Larry and Barry meet in 1997, and Larry tells Barry all about his famous clients, and that Larry was a tax attorney, business person, and investor. So for the first five years of this relationship, they hit it off, and Larry gives Barry tax and management consulting advice on an hourly basis. And basically acts as Barry's outside counsel for all of Barry's assorted timeshare companies. During that time, Larry lives in Florida and Barry and all the companies were in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So they stay like this for five years. That puts us to 2002. Barry's businesses in Atlantic City are declining and he turns to his bestie Larry for help. Mm -hmm. And so he knows Larry's history with assisting other companies and helping him turn around. So he asks Larry to come up to Atlantic City for a few months and to spend some intensive time with him, improving the operations of his business. Hmm. Larry hems and haws, but he eventually agrees and spends about four months in late 2002 working out of the Atlantic City offices. Barry is thrilled by this. He is so happy with Larry's performance at this point. He makes an offer for Larry to become a full-time, we're going to say employee of these companies. Uh, We say employee, but he was actually listed as a contractor and he was paid $500,000 a year in biweekly contractor 1099 payments. Mm. Um, And he becomes the COO and GC for Barry's companies for this fee of $500,000 a year, uh, not including expenses for him to commute to and from Florida to New Jersey. It's a pretty good gig if you can get it. It's a great gig if you can get it. Um, It also includes indemnification for anything that may happen and full health benefits. Um, Pause here. Common for a contractor to have those things? (laughs) Wait a minute. Yes. (laughs) Unusual. All right. Yes. Larry would submit invoices basically every two weeks for the same amount. And he would basically get paid his salary as a contractor every two weeks. Um, His compensation wasn't limited to biweekly payments, though, because Barry also provided Larry with fine wines and a wine closet at uh, an apartment in Atlantic City, because Larry was very concerned that he wouldn't have access to the same wines in Atlantic City that he had at his home in Florida. (laughs) Okay. Larry is a great negotiator. He negotiated an interesting deal for himself as COO and GC of these companies. Barry agreed to give him, quote, total authority and absolute autonomy from the board of directors to make all business-related decisions. Your face, thoughts? (laughs) Well, the 
purpose of the board of directors is yes. to oversee the operations of the company and ensure <laughs> that like decisions are being made in the best interest of the company. So uh, it doesn't seem great that you're telling the board of directors to essentially go fuck themselves and that they will have no authority or management yes. over the company. That <laughs> seems like a situation which you might want to resign if you're a director because there is uh, essentially no point to your role. Yeah, you can't exercise any sort of fiduciary duty to the company if you can't right. exercise oversight as a director right. <laughs> of management and operations. Um, Barry further agreed that he had, quote, an unconditional pact. He would back Larry in whatever Larry's business decisions and advice would be as COO and GC. Why? He really likes Larry. Like, they are besties. <laughs> are they only besties? So far, that's the only thing the record shows is their best. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> um, Seems weird. But to your point, obviously the board of directors is tasked with oversight and management of the company and right? more than likely violates the corporate bylaws that sure. Larry has this autonomy and can't be checked by the board of directors. Larry immediately gets to work with various companies and starts exercising that absolute autonomy. And a few months after he started, Larry sends an all-employee memorandum that established a chain of command for addressing any internal complaints. And that was, you know, any type of HR complaints, work complaints, culture complaints, any sort of complaint. And the notable change in the chain of command was that it completely cut out Barry. And so I'm going to send you the final line of this memo that Larry sent to his employees. So if there are complaints about Larry, it will not go to Barry in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. That's convenient. Oh. <laughs> in no event should any employee request a meeting with the president slash CEO, Barry. Failure to adhere to this policy will result in disciplinary action up to and including termination. It's like so the anti-door policy. I was yeah. gonna say it's the anti-open door policy. <laughs> yes. It is the slammed fucking shut door policy. Yeah, it's the get fucked policy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This wasn't something that Barry minded, though. And in fact, he sent an all-employee memo in 2004 saying that because his complete attention was focused on being CEO and creating plans for the companies, Barry was turning over, quote, all operational functions to the CEO, which was Larry. And so mm -hmm. at that point, according to Barry, all departments and divisions, without exception, reported to Larry effective immediately. So... We have Larry, who has all departments, all divisions of all companies reporting to him, and he has absolute and complete autonomy from the board of directors. Do we see where this might go off the rails at some point? <laughs> no, this doesn't sound problematic at all. Continue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best practices, left and right. We're going to have a minor spoiler moment here. Um, this results in litigation eventually. And so we uh, we learn a lot from the court's opinion. So the court notes that, quote, Larry assumed the role of de facto CEO and de jure general counsel with great fervor. And so mm. we can discuss all of the plans and shenanigans that Larry engaged in. One of Barry's timeshare properties was owned by a company that we'll call Ocean Breeze. Mm -hmm. And the operating agreement for Ocean Breeze said that Barry held 70% and the remaining 30% was divided equally among three other people. And those were not three people um, that included Larry because it had been mm -hmm. formed before Larry started. So it was 70% right. for Barry and then 30% um, for three other people, each holding 10%. Sure. One of those 10% holders we'll call Joey. 
Larry doesn't like Joey. Joey is an SVP at Ocean Breeze, and Larry sees an opportunity. If he poisons the well with Barry against Joey, Larry can get that 10% of Ocean Breeze if he gets Joey out of the picture. Pretty quickly, Larry starts questioning Joey's abilities and whether Joey's work merited the salary he received. So at this point, Joey and Barry have been in business together for 10 years, and Joey has moved from Virginia to New Jersey to work more closely with Barry's company and took this massive pay cut to relocate from Virginia to New Jersey just a year earlier. (laughs) My brain is kind of stuck, though, because... It's one thing to get rid of an employee. It's not that simple just to be like, I don't want you to own, have equity in this company yes. anymore. Like That is a problem that has to be solved. And it is not as simple as your at-will employment ends today. Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of, okay, this doesn't well, Larry, seem like a great plan. Larry recognizes this complication that you, just like you said, like you can't sign a severance agreement and just your equity's gone. Poof. Yeah. Poof. Uh, bye. <laughs> Um, so Larry instead prepares this separation agreement with a severance package. And in that agreement, there is a provision where the company would buy back Joey's 10% interest in the company as part of this severance agreement. Okay. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but does that like comply with the member agreement or the, the shareholder agreement? I mean, I mean, listen to who we're talking about. He has absolute autonomy. Does it <laughs> really matter? We're not going to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. okay. Those are real questions to real problems. And never we're not mind. here for that. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Um, curiously, though, in the agreement that Larry drafted, there is a, quote, assignment of interest in the severance agreement, which has a blank space for the recipient being assigned the interest. <laughs> and it's going to be Larry. Yes. Larry's not subtle about these plans. He calls the company's CPA and asks what the tax consequences would be if Joey transferred his interest in Ocean Breeze to Larry. Basically, Mm -hmm. who's going to get taxed and how if Joey gives his interest back to the company and the company gives it to me? Larry keeps poisoning the well. Finally, he gets Barry on board. And eventually, the final version of the severance agreement assigned Joey's 10% interest in Ocean Breeze to one of Larry's corporations, not back to Ocean Breeze. So an LLC basically owned exclusively by Larry. Okay. Joey signs all the agreements and his interest transfers to Larry without Larry paying or providing any sort of consideration. And here's, uh, this was all done without Barry's knowledge. Barry knew he was getting rid of Joey. He did not know that Larry was getting this 10% interest in Ocean Breeze as a result of all of this. Quite frankly, that doesn't seem like Barry's problem because Larry yeah. has full autonomy. Yeah. There's one thing I haven't mentioned about Joey, though. Larry was also his personal lawyer and had been for years and represented Joey and his wife related to their investment in Ocean Breeze. Oh, <laughs> that's bad. It's bad. And he, you're going to guess the answer to this. Do you think he ever talked to Joey about a potential conflict of interest here? No, we don't, we don't care about that shit. Nope, not at all. Never once raised it. (laughs) Yeah, no. So Joey's gone. Larry gets his interest. And now Larry has this ownership interest in Ocean Breeze, and he decides it's time to maximize that company's profits. So unbeknownst to Barry, one of Larry's companies made a $1,000 contribution to Ocean Breeze. And in return, his company, Larry's company, received 15% of any profit interest that Ocean Breeze has. (laughs) (laughs) 
Larry also named himself as general manager of Ocean Breeze and gave himself a 10% interest, quote, off the top in any revenue that the company had. I, this is all just really distracting because I, you know, I've been in the weeds before on mm-hmm. how you actually do things from a corporate standpoint. Yes. And I'm just like, this isn't how any of this is done. Like, this, no, this is, is just not how any of this works. This is not how any of this works. We're just yellowing ourselves straight into the sun. Like you don't, as a general manager, generally you don't get a 10% interest in any revenue the company has, like before you even talk right. about expenses. Right. <laughs> Barry doesn't discover this scheme with Ocean Breeze and the basically, you know, massive amount of money that Larry is making off of it until he's in litigation with Larry and his lawyer shows him these documents. Like he literally does not ever discover it. <laughs> that is so awkward. Ocean Breeze leads to a host of new money-making opportunities for Larry. Larry creates a company that we'll call OB Management, which was basically managing the timeshare sales at Ocean Breeze. Okay. The operating agreement, see, we're going to talk about operating agreements. The operating agreement that Larry drafted showed that Barry's family and his trust owned 80% of OB Management and one of Larry's companies owned the other 20%. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about OB management. Barry didn't know that company existed either. Right. Yeah, no, I I kind of assumed that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Larry, just as a reminder, in addition to being Joey's personal lawyer, Larry was also Barry's personal lawyer and managed Barry's trust's estate issues and any personal legal problems that he had. Mm -hmm. So one day Barry's meeting with Larry to tell him that Barry had recently been diagnosed with cancer And in that meeting, according to Barry, Larry gives him a blank signature page for the operating agreement, but says, I have something for you to sign for your kids' trusts and doesn't (gasps) say anything about it other than that. And Barry signs it, believing it's basically just routine documentation for his children's trust. I'm speechless. (laughs) Also, because I think what's so perplexing about this is... Larry's been a lawyer for quite some time and, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't need to make the assumption that everything was on the up and up, but this is just a wild way to dive into misconduct. Like we're not even (laughs) dipping our toe into misconduct. We are just like leaping into the, the, yeah, leaping (laughs) into the deep end with no life jacket. Mm -hmm. That is wild. If I were one of his prior clients and I was reading about this, I would be checking Everything. Because Everything. you can't imagine that he just decided to randomly, wildly defraud his client. Like there had to be something that came before this. You well, maybe yeah, sho- that's, that's the thing is yeah. that I that I was thinking is that he's mm-hmm. probably been doing that's what I was thinking, is that he's probably been doing mm-hmm. bad stuff for a while and like we just don't know about it. I mean, we to be clear, that's just my speculation. But yes, I you usually well, when yeah, people mine. engage in misconduct, you usually don't see them go straight for the, the gold. Yes. Okay. So you may be shocked to learn this, but people who bought timeshares in the very early 2000s began defaulting on those payments a few years later. Instead of instituting mm-hmm. former foreclosure formal foreclosure proceedings against them, Leary had a better idea that would save the company time and money. He instructed the finance manager to start forging quitclaim deeds to be recorded as settlement on the outstanding claims that Ocean Breeze had against those purchasers. And for those of you who don't know, a quitclaim deed is a 
deed that conveys that complete interest you may have, but doesn't warrant or guarantee that you may have the title or interest to the deed. So basically like an at, you're selling it as is. It's an as is deed. Essentially, it was a way for Larry to start reselling those properties without going through the legal process of clearing up the title in any way. Larry offered to pay the finance mm-hmm. manager $300 for each deed that he forged and filed. And these quick claim deeds were fairly suspicious at first glance. The timeshares owned by people from different states all had their signatures, quote unquote, notarized by the same notary in New Jersey on the same day. And that notary was also the finance manager's live-in girlfriend. It wasn't just uh, limited to deeds and um, issues with that. As part of Ocean Breeze's operations, they conducted phone solicitations, and that made them subject to do-not-call regulations that were in place at that time. And for those of you who aren't aware, the do-not-call regulations are enforced by the FTC, and the fines for violations for those could be in the tens or hundreds of millions. Barry specifically instructed Larry to install all necessary computer software to ensure that the companies were in compliance with the do-not-call law. Larry disagreed with this decision, and he disregarded that instruction and told the employees that the risk was acceptable and the cost of compliance was too high for them. Oh, no, that's not a thing where penalties (laughs) come into play for do not call lists, and especially like Mm -hmm. auto dialing. The -hmm. penalties are extremely expensive, especially when you get to statutory damages. And this was, I don't know if it still is because I haven't been looking into this recently, but this was at one point a very, very hot area for class action litigation. It's died down a little bit. The Supreme Court narrowed down the definition of an auto dialer, but you're right. I think that was last term. I do remember that, that, yeah. Yeah, but prior to that, it was insane because the law considered a cell phone an auto dialer. No, that was crazy, yeah, yeah, because of those those new um, FCC regulations. Well, I say new, but I think they came out in like 2013 or something. Yeah. um, No, that was like a huge area for class action and like massive, massive damages. And so- (laughs) To be like, don't worry about it. Compliance is too expensive, whatever. (laughs) Risk is fine is like totally, totally unhinged. Well, you kind of alluded to exactly what happens. The FTC investigates Ocean Breeze and levies a $7.5 million fine against them for their noncompliance with do not call regulations. Larry's a hustler, though. He doesn't confine his activities just to corporate management. Prior to Larry joining Barry's companies, Barry had used the same insurance broker, um, for years, and we'll call him Tony. Tony had been Barry's friend. They worked on and had donated to the same political campaigns. And Larry saw Tony and saw yet another opportunity to potentially make money through Barry's insurance scheme. Larry told Barry that the companies needed to use a new broker because Tony was getting complacent and he didn't trust Tony's business practices. Um, I'm just going to ask you, do you think the broker that Larry recommends is on the up and up. Is Larry the broker? <laughs> no, that would be too far. The broker's Larry's niece. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's somebody who's like very clearly going to give a kickback to Larry for yes, exactly. funneling money, funneling, funneling business mm-hmm. her way. Yeah. Okay. Larry starts talking about how he believes Tony's engaged in fraud. He couldn't be trusted. And he eventually switches all of Barry's business from Tony to his niece's brokerage without telling Barry. Mm -hmm. And Barry discovers this years later and he realizes the contract that Larry signs, it would be a six figure penalty for them to leave Larry's niece 
and go back to Tony as their insurance broker. <laughs> yeah, that's how those contracts usually yeah, work. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> you don't usually get a penalty for changing insurance brokers. Just yeah. throwing that out there. <laughs> Larry still has dreams, though, and he treated various businesses as a money spigot. Uh, Larry had a direct report, and when Larry became GC and COO, he gave his direct report a raise of over $100,000, which is pretty nice if you can get it. (laughs) Okay. Larry also had a daily routine uh, that he made his direct report engage in as well. Each day at 5 p.m., Larry's employee was required to report to Larry's office, and they would drink two bottles of wine and visit about work. What? Yes. And later on in his testimony, Larry's direct report said, there are many times that, you know, I would have preferred, I just had a newborn baby and built a house that same year, so I probably would have preferred to go home. But I chose to because I don't know the proper word, but I guess the word is probably a little bit of fear, a little bit of fear. Larry has a way of presenting himself. And my perception was if I didn't do it, I would look at differently. So, I mean, we've all had that kind of like you don't have to go, but attendance will be noted kind of corporate obligations. Yeah, that's pretty wild, though, to like intimidate people into drinking a a whole bottle of wine. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So on the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, don't spare too many bad thoughts um, for or sad thoughts for Larry's direct report because Larry began having dinner together with his direct report four nights per week at a restaurant in the Borgato Hotel and Casino. And this lasted months and they would go to steak dinners four times a week. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) That was after their two bottles of wine meetings as well. So they're living quite the life. Yeah, it seems like at some point you could be like, hey, I really got to. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if this guy's divorced. <laughs> <laughs> what woman puts up with this yes. shit? <laughs> Eventually, Larry's direct report wanted to reward his sales staff for a great year and arranged a trip for all of them to Las Vegas for them to stay at the MGM Grand for three nights with all expenses paid for by the company. And with Larry's employees plan was for it to be a cheap, cheap trip because all five men planned planned to share one room and quote bunk together. Um, Pause here for your, (laughs) you gave me the reaction before I even asked. Oh, gross. That is uncomfortable. It's not with coworkers. No. (laughs) Although Larry, uh, Larry's employee got Larry's permission to plan this trip, he didn't specifically ever invite Larry on it, and he wasn't planning on Larry going. But uh, Larry did Larry did join them. Yeah, I was going to say, Larry's not going to be cool with that. Like, Larry's forcing you to guzzle wine and eat steak with him on a nightly basis, and you think you can escape his clutches to go to yes. Vegas? Nope, no, you cannot. No. Although Larry did not bunk with them. Larry flew private out to Vegas and then booked himself the penthouse at the Bellagio. (laughs) Larry's not a plebe. He's not going to share a room with these weirdos. Share a room? No. (laughs) He invited the team to the steakhouse at the Bellagio for dinner. I don't know back in early 2000s what that would have been. Um, So anyway, steakhouse at the Bellagio. When the men arrive to dinner, Larry is there with three young women that he introduces as his friends. God. And after dinner, Larry has them all up to his penthouse, and eventually he goes back to his room with all three women and the guy tells the guys to leave. 
wow, this guy is really just living it up. At trial, when he was asked about the trip, Larry said he had no memory of it other than it was a legitimate business expense. Sure. Yes. Sure, friend. Like, I don't remember what it is, but I know it was legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> With this story, would it surprise you to find out that Larry was a serial sexual harasser at the office as well? I am 0% yeah. surprised. Women in the office testified that he greeted them each morning by hugging them and kissing them on the lips. Even after they told him to stop. <laughs> what? Like, wait, back up. How how old is he at this point? I mean, not that in, it matters, but I'm I'm trying. I mean, to... he was licensed in nineteen, say nineteen seventy, and he's at least practiced almost thirty years at this point, so he's older. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just trying to get a visual in my mind of yes. you know, do we have a an old creepy man or like a old young creepy, creepy man. man? Yeah, we okay. got an old creepy man at this point. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. His screensaver on his work computer was pictures of women's in swimsuits, and he would gift female employees silk pajamas for Christmas. So, I mean, just an all-around creepy, creepy guy. Yeah, yuck. Eventually, unsurprisingly, in 2005, Barry fires Larry, and Barry's reason is that they had, quote, different business philosophies. And we don't find out, like, what the final straw was, but... Mm-hmm. Barry discovered some of this and, you know, fires Larry. And this results in litigation. Barry sues Larry for malpractice and negligence and breach of fiduciary duty and basically a rash of things. And Larry uh, sues Barry for, um, you know, unfair termination and <laughs> says that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ball's on this guy. I know and- <laughs> it's incredible, but but we've seen this before, right? Where mm-hmm. and I think it was that it was the Oklahoma story that you told, where um, these people get into fights with each other, and it's like you don't think it's all going to come out, like yes. it's all going to come out. Yes, what are we doing here? Like walk away, and it does come out, and as we've discussed, but this is where we need to take a detour because we need to discuss a judge behaving badly in this trial. What? <laughs> So we have litigation between Barry and Larry, and the judge presiding over this case was named Stephen Persky, and he was a New Jersey Superior Court judge. Larry's argument for his unfair termination was that he was his firing was based on his taking business away from Tony, the insurance broker, you know, who Larry had claimed engaged in fraud and improper business practices. His argument was that I was using my business judgment to move to a better insurance broker because I didn't trust Tony, and that's why Barry fired me. That meant that Tony was a central witness in the case, and his testimony and credibility would be very important in whether Larry's claims about his termination were successful. Mm -hmm. Pretty quickly, Larry's lawyers realized there was a potential conflict of interest with the judge and Tony because Judge Persky knew Tony the broker. Mm-hmm. And Larry's lawyers raised several times to Judge Persky that as a fact finder, the judge would have to judge the credibility of Tony's business practices and right. legitimacy. Lawyer- Larry's lawyers moved to recuse Judge Persky, and he denies the motion several times, holding that he has that to a reasonable and informed observer, he would be able to maintain impartiality when it came to judging Tony's credibility. And in fact, the judge held that I don't perceive there's anything about the nature or extent of my historic relationship with him that would preclude me from making the kind of credibility evaluation of his testimony that I would make of somebody I don't know. 
And he continues and basically says, all I'm saying is that my relationship with him is not such as it would be, for example, with some other people that I can mention that I simply would not feel comfortable evaluating their credibility. Mm -hmm. So he denies the motion to recuse eventually. This leads to Larry filing a complaint with the Judicial Commission against Mm -hmm. the judge for denying this motion to recuse. And what we learn as a result of that complaint is that Judge Persky and Tony had a decades-long relationship. Oh! And in fact, Judge Persky testified in a later proceeding that from the 1970s to the mid-2000s, Tony was his exclusive insurance broker for the judge's homeownership and auto insurance. Oh, wow. And as the Supreme Court later decide, uh, described, quote, put succinctly, the judge had at the time a 35-year business relationship with the very agency whose cessation of business with Ocean Breeze was salient to the litigation. Yeah, that seems so problematic. That's pretty bad. But we eventually learn even more. Yay! <laughs> Tony originally donated to Judge Persky's campaigns to be elected to the bench in New Jersey. And... That's not that unusual in Texas. Our judges are elected. And if you had to recuse every time someone donated, there'd be no judges left. Right. I mean, yeah. But Tony did more than donate. Tony Tony was his chief fundraiser for all of his campaigns and was his campaign treasurer. Oh, oops. And not only was Tony his campaign treasurer, the judge and Tony worked extensively together to bring legalized gambling to Atlantic City. And they were business partners in a failed business that they tried to start together in Atlantic City. Oops. And they they played bridge together weekly for the past five years leading up to the trial. Bridge. How old are these people? Okay. They're all old. They're all old. Got our weekly canasta game in. So Larry's lawyers eventually appeal his refusal to recuse, and it makes it to the Supreme Court. And so we have the State Judicial Commission begins the investigation, it makes it to the Supreme Court. And this is where we learn about all the social and political and business relationships between the two of them, just beyond the insurance issues. The commission notes that Persky never disclosed the entirety of his relationship with Tony because the judge had a philosophy to, quote, stay out of the way of substantive issues and didn't (laughs) think it would be a problem. Cool. This wasn't the end of his involvement in the litigation, though. Eventually, he was forced to recuse. But then during the trial in front of a different judge, Judge Persky sat in in the courtroom and watched the trial while Tony testified and spoke with the plaintiff's lawyer several times during breaks. Oh, my God. (laughs) And eventually, in front of the commission, the judge admitted that his presence in the courtroom during the trial in which he was forced to recuse himself was, quote, ill-considered. And (laughs) the Supreme Court had thoughts about that. And it simply says, we could not agree with Judge Persky more. Yeah. He explained that he had an intellectual interest in the testimony that Tony had. But the Supreme Court dismissed that out of hand, saying, you were recused. It's absolutely irrelevant to your obligation to not show up as though you're supporting the plaintiffs in this litigation. Right. So the judge is eventually censured for his actions by the Supreme Court. They hold to officially censure him, and he retires two years later. So he retires in 2010. How are we feeling about censure as a remedy for his actions in this case? I don't know. Whatever. At least they did something, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back to the trial, Barry wins on every count. He alleged (laughs) malpractice, negligence, breach of fiduciary duty, the whole gamut. He wins on everything. 
I mean, not uh, to court- not to diminish not to diminish the accomplishments of his attorneys, but that doesn't yeah. <laughs> seem like a heavy lift. No, it doesn't. When you've got um, Larry out here, just like doing malfeasance over here and <laughs> doing misconduct over here and breaching fiduciary duties over here, left and right, like doesn't seem like that much of an uphill push. Larry's biggest defense was that, oh, I wasn't acting in my GC capacity. I was acting in my COO capacity when I did all of this. So it can't be malpractice or breach of fiduciary duty because I didn't have those at the time. I was wearing my COO hat and it didn't get very far with that, especially when like he is redlining agreements and (laughs) (laughs) engaging in actual legal work. Right. There's also a second like layer of this where all of this work was occurring in New Jersey and Larry never got licensed in New Jersey. Um, I, he was only ever licensed in New York. I wondered about that. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize he was only licensed in New York because he was living in Miami. So we're just like doing a little UPL too. Yeah, he is. And the court points cool. that out too. Um, and they have a couple snide comments about it, um, catching him for this unlicensed practice of law that he was engaged in. And at one point he's like, well, I couldn't have been committing malpractice because I'm not licensed to practice in New Jersey. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) It's like a galaxy brain meme. (laughs) Yeah. For real. The court was like, no. (laughs) The court ordered rescission of the transactions um, that Barry never knew about due to Larry's malfeasance and ordered hundreds of thousands of dollars and then millions of dollars in compensatory damages and attorney's fees against Larry as well. I looked up Larry's discipline history with the state bar in New York, and it says no public discipline has ever been issued against him. So we don't know if there was some sort of private discipline, but publicly he never faced any discipline as a result of his actions here. And he is still active and practicing at least uh, under the state bar in New York. Yes. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So he still has an what? active license in the state of New York. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. Okay. So that is this week's story. It was the story of the worst in-house counsel ever. <laughs> that <I've> <laughs> <seen>. <laughs> yeah, that guy did a bad job. Yeah. Don't do that as my professional advice as in-house counsel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say either that guy did a bad job or I took a much less expansive view of my yes. <laughs> my role as in-house counsel. You weren't giving yourself 10% off the top at your companies. That's just failure. to That's failure to dream big, KP. <laughs> I know. I'm really mad I didn't usurp corporate opportunities for myself and yes. reassign <laughs> equity here or there as yes. I saw fit. <laughs> real opportunity missed. So we're just not, we're not entrepreneurial enough for these types of people, I think is our problem. So we're just destined, destined to our fate as following the rules. I roll. I guess. Yes. I guess. (laughs) That was delightful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have no idea what we're doing next week (laughs) or if we will do something next week because it is Thanksgiving week. And that also means our one-year anniversary of the podcast is coming up because we launched our first episode, I think, like the day before Thanksgiving last week, or maybe the day Mm -hmm. of Thanksgiving. I can't remember. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, maybe that'll motivate me to find some story and whip it into (laughs) shape. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think back to how nervous we were recording our very first episode and even our teaser, how many practice runs we had through our yeah. teaser um, and how nervous we were. And now we just get on. We're like, YOLO. So what a year. <laughs> I mean, we did some yellowing in that first episode, if you yes. will recall. So. <laughs> But in any event, that's really exciting. So we will be back next week. You can leave us a review. There's a link for merch in the podcast description. And I feel like there's, oh, yeah, you can find us on social media at Bad Lawyer Pod. And you can also email us at Bad Lawyer Pod. And we'd love to hear comments from you. Thanks, guys. 